So this afternoon, Joe and Petri will be sharing. Um, and um, yeah, I don't want to share too much, but it's been a year. Can you post it this year? It's been a couple that's really inspired me over the last while, just the way that they've served God and gave themselves to the, to the household that God has put them in, despite some really tough circumstances. Um, and a couple that's really praised amidst the storm. <laughs> um, so they testimony of what we believe God has spoken to us. They really testimony of that. So, so yeah, with expected hearts, let's open up our hearts and hear what the Lord is going to speak to us. So Lord, I, I thank you for Joan Petrian. I thank you for a people, a couple that are pursuing you with all their hearts, Lord. Pursuing you with all their hearts, Lord. And I pray as they share from their story, their lives, but more from what you've placed in their hearts. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to hear what the Spirit is saying through them this afternoon. And that we'd respond accurately, Lord, to your call, to your conviction. We know that you, you've purposed this time, God, and, and we want to respond to what you want to do in and through us. So with humble hearts, with open hearts, we want to receive your word. And I pray that it would cut this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you so much, Kevin opportunity, elders. Um, I'm Joe, um, also a son of God, and um, also experienced that happy day when my sin was washed away. And I'm also a son in this house, and that's very much what I want to speak to you about today. Um, yeah, so as a, as a church, we've been discussing a couple of weeks back um, Haggai chapter 1. And uh, if you weren't there, if you can't remember that, I just want to recap uh, by reading a couple of verses as an introduction to the message, um, Haggai chapter 1 from verse 3. You can follow along if you want to, or just listen. I've just shortened it a little bit. Um, so um, Haggai is speaking. He says, um, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, with the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua, the spirit of all the people, and they worked on the house of the Lord, their God. Isn't this incredible? Just love this uh, scripture because it's such a, a good news message, actually. You know, the Lord is concerned for his house. He's seeing that the people care more about their personal prosperity than about the state of his house and the health of his house. So he's rebuking them and saying, you know, don't, don't spend so much time trying to build your own kingdom. Build my kingdom. And then what actually happens is the people listen. And they say they obey the voice of the Lord. They fear before God. And this is an incredible principle that we can learn from this. God never expects something from us that is not willing to assist us with. So what he does is actually pours out his spirit upon the leaders and upon the people as they obey. And they build the house of the Lord together. Isn't that amazing? And the Lord is as concerned for his church today as he was concerned for his temple then. So the same message rings true. Consider your ways. There's many things for us to consider, 
and over the last couple of weeks, we have been considering this morning, we've been considering our praise and our individual praise is something for us to consider this week as we went in and as Kevin ministered that. Two weeks ago, we considered our devotion, how devoted we are. We considered our hospitality towards strangers and towards other believers coming through for the conference. And today, I want to tie in with those last two topics of devotion and hospitality and speak to us considering our ways regarding belonging to this community and serving this community, even when you're going through a tough time. So the title of my message is Belonging is Serving even during testing times. And I'll be ministering with Pietru, um, and I will speak on the first two parts, belonging and serving, and then she, I think, is more than qualified to speak about those two things in the context of going through a testing time. So let's begin, belonging. According to a survey by Statistica last year, about 40% of adults in South Africa has said that they experience feelings of loneliness, often or all the time. That's pretty shocking. And sadly, it's also true in the church. A lot of people experience loneliness. And this is sad because we weren't made for loneliness. We weren't made to be alone. How do I know that? Because Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And if we are made in the image and likeness of God and He is one, then what are we supposed to be? One. There is a oneness that God wants for us. When He said be fruitful and multiply, He he didn't envision, you know, a bunch of people multiplying and they're all on their own little islands. He imagined a people together in unity, families together in unity, and today a church together in unity. So why then loneliness? Well, of course, because of the fall. The fall brought a great disconnect, which actually ended up isolating us. And that is the strategy of the enemy. He wants to isolate in order to annihilate. Because if he can get you alone, you're an easy target for him. And that's been the case ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden right through to today. This week we, get, we had a, a men's meeting. And we were again reminded that we're not on a cruise ship to Hawaii, people. We're on a battleship advancing the kingdom of God. And what happens is if you end up forgiving this, you're like David that stayed alone at home while these troops were busy fighting on the battlefield advancing the kingdom. What happened to him? Ended up committing adultery with Bathsheba, killing her husband. That happens when you isolate yourself and you're not engaged in the battle. You're an easy target for the enemy. You will fall in sin and you will be wiped out. None of us is strong enough to stand against the enemy alone. That, that picture that um, Stacy, sorry, Stacy shared just now. I don't know if she's been snooping at my nose. I actually wanted to play that video clip, that exact thing that she described from, from the movie 300. You know, um, of the guys in the shields going together and the one that open up and the one come out with the spear. It's such an incredible scene. So, um, social research alludes that the more connected a person is in supportive relationships, the more manageable their circumstances will feel. 
It might not be manageable, but it will feel like it's manageable. Now, the opposite is, of course, also true. When you feel lonely, you have less energy to face even normal responsibilities. Now, we're not in psychology class today, so <laughs> thankfully, Jesus prayed for us. Did you know that? He prayed for us, and He's actually still praying for us today. The, the Bible says that He's interceding for us at the right hand of the Father every day. And this is His prayer in John chapter 17. He says, verse 20, I do not pray for the disciples alone. He started praying for himself, then he prayed for the leaders, disciples, and then he prayed for the church at large. He says, but I also pray for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Now, here's the incredible part. What's the purpose of all this oneness? That the world may believe that you sent me. How will the people know that we are his disciples? By the love that we have for one another. Alone, you are not a good enough representative of Jesus. I'm sorry, you aren't. The church needs to represent Jesus together. We are the body. Now that is Jesus' prayer. Oneness. Father, that they may be one in us. What is going to be the strategy of the enemy? Of course, he's going to come against that. And he's going to try to prevent that. And how is he going to prevent that? Well, there's dozens of reasons. I'll just mention three. Number one, he comes with lies that you don't belong. He's going to come knocking on your, the door of your heart, in your mind. And he's going to tell you that nobody actually likes you here. You're not welcome. You're actually an outcast. Nobody's going to invite you, you know, or you see that they didn't invite you. Oh, no, you, you actually, you know, you're not good enough. You, you, don't, you don't belong here. That's a lie from the enemy. You need to counter that with the truth. I'm going to get to the truth just now. The second way that he prevents it is offense. Offense. Now, there's two types of offenses. The one offense is when you misunderstand somebody's intention. They, they didn't invite you to their party but, but they, they actually had limited space or it was just for family or, or something and you misunderstood it and you took offense, okay? That's the one type of offense. Then that's a softer kind of offense. The harder type of offense is when, when somebody's actually intentionally unkind to you. They're rude to you, they're angry with you, they scold at you, okay? But, but the amazing thing is that both, both types of offenses actually get dealt with in the same way. You know what it is? Quick forgiveness. Just to be quick to forgive. Whether that person was intentional in offending you or whether they weren't. Just, to, just forgive them. That's the way that you overcome offense. We're all people. We're, pe we're going to offend each other. We're going to be offended. But I always say, don't, don't take offense. Just go through the gate. You know? <laughs> and the third way that the enemy tries to prevent oneness is busyness. You know, busy is an acronym for being under Satan's yoke. I want to ask you this afternoon. Are you being under Satan's yoke? Building your paneled house? You know, trying to earn, putting in, but the scripture says, now guy, you're putting it in a bag full of holes. Don't build your own kingdom. 
Be concerned for the health of the church. Don't be so busy building your empire in business, in work, entertainment, hobbies, whatever else there might be, renovating your house. That, that's not, that's, there's not sin in that. But don't let that take the priority of what God is expecting from you in belonging to his household of faith. Now, I want to share with you briefly my testimony in finding a spiritual home, this home. I grew up in a house, a loving house, but my parents ended up divorcing when I was 14 years old. And in that, I, for the rest of my high school years, I had a dysfunctional family. And that experience of dysfunctional family, you know, where do I belong, where do I fit in, felt like a little bit of a chameleon. You know, both my parents remarried, both had new cultures in their house, and I didn't really fit in, so I just ended up retreating. I brought that belief and that experience of dysfunctional family into my understanding of church when I got saved a little, uh, some years later at university. So I, I had this, 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 this theology in my mind that, you know, church is where two or three gather in his name, there he will be. That's church. And of course, there's an element of truth in that, but I had no understanding of kingdom, of the fivefold ministry, of apostolic oversight, of leadership, elders and deacons. None of that was, was part of my theology at that stage. So I was part of a what I call a parachurch organization where it's very mission-orientated. And that's great, but that's not enough. That's not family. So I was lacking a household of faith where there were fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, and I could be accountable, and they could mentor me and, and minister into my life. So I really felt the sting of that when, when, when Peter and I got, got engaged. And um, I was going to the most important relationship of my life, and I felt so unprepared. And I realized I need a church. And we spoke together and we said, when we, got, when we were going to get married, we're going to belong to a church. So we ended up slotting into a local church in Jeffreys Bay. And we were in family. And it felt great. But then came the offense. I took offense. So I'm not here to badmouth the church. They might have done one or two things wrong, but I took offense. I was overlooked. Some of my ideas were dismissed. You know, I had some friction with people in, 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 in the church. And I was ready to like pack my bags and go. And you know what God told me? You're going to stay right here. And you're going to mature through this. <laughs> so I want to say to you, if you're sitting here and, and you've ever uttered these words, I got hurt in church. That's fine if, you, if, you, if that's your story. It's okay to, to be hurt in church. But you know what? Jesus also got hurt in church. Many people get hurt in church. But if that is your last statement, I got hurt in church and therefore I'm no longer in a church. You know what you just did? You accepted defeat. You just let the, the devil win. Because you didn't deal with the, with the offense, the process of forgiveness, the restoration, and coming back to God's a plan for salvation upon the earth, and that is the church. So I had to mature through that. I had to only leave that place when God said, I'm sending you. Don't leave. Be sent. I had to, had to be sent. And that's what happened. Uh, I was sent to this church. Um, every time we'd come to visit, my parents-in-law and my family over here, my in-laws, which radically redeemed my family experience, um, I now have a, a better understanding of functional family. Every time we'd come to visit, we'd visit Josh and Durnville AM. And we'd walk in here, we'd experience life, experience family. We loved the Bible-based teaching. And, and in that, we just knew that, that God is calling us here and He's actually sending us here. So that's my testimony of belonging. 
And I want to tell you the truth of belonging, how you combat the lies of the enemy that you don't belong. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says, He has predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself and made us accepted in the beloved. Isn't that incredible? You're adopted into the family of God and you're accepted in the beloved. So if you ever feel nobody accepts me, I'm rejected, I'm not worthy, I'm not welcome, you just pull up the scripture and you just proclaim it like we've been hearing this morning. You need to proclaim and not just, you know, sit around and read it. Proclaim it. You are accepted in the beloved. And who is the beloved? The beloved is Jesus. You belong to Jesus. You're part of his family. And how does he manifest himself? Through his body on this earth. And that is his church. So you're actually accepted in church. In any Bible-believing, Christ-centered church, you are accepted. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 18 says, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. Talked about individual God, how God works with individuals this morning. It says here that he has set each one of them. That's you. That's everyone's name. Say your own name. I have been set in the body exactly the way God pleased. Now that, that's the twofold meaning. It, the one meaning is your function within the body. You might be a toe or, a, or an ear or an eye. Or it might be the very church that you are planted in. So if you're sitting here this morning... And you, and you wanted confirmation that is this the right church for me? This is the right church for you. Okay? I, I love this. There's a sign in, in, in Cape Town somewhere, a billboard on the side of a church. It says, if you're looking for a sign to come to church, this is it. <laughs> I love that. We must put that up in the new building. <laughs> you belong here for a time such as this to participate and play a part. Okay? To Quinonia. Quinonia is such a beautiful word. Go and do a word study on the word quinonia. It means a lot of things, but I just want to highlight the core of it. It's communion by intimate participation. Communion by intimate participation. That's what we're called to do as saints. You're not just here to warm a seat or to, you know, give money to the church or whatever. You're here to quinonia, to fellowship, to be intimately part partaking. Moves me to my next part of the message in serving. Participating is as participating in a team. Now, I just enrolled in a touch rugby league, which is starting tomorrow night, okay? And when I get onto that field, put on the jersey, I'm part of the team, and they hand me the ball. I got to do something. I can't just be an innocent bystander. I got to run, or I got to try to sidestep, or I got to pass the ball. I got to do something, play my part. Exactly the same with you. If you've got the understanding and knowing that you belong and that you belong here, that you have got a part to play. There's some things that we won't be able to break through as a congregation together if you don't play your part. We're going to pass that ball and there's nobody there and Paul's going to go over the sideline. We need you. After the foot washing that Jesus did, he, he spoke this to the disciples. He said, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, this is interesting that Jesus is saying this is a new commandment. Because it isn't really new. Just in Leviticus 19 verse 18, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, how is this now a new commandment? Well, the new part is the part that he added. 
as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love? He went above and beyond love for himself. He loved others more than himself by laying down his life. And in this, Jesus is calling us, his disciples, and saying, this is the kind of love that I want you to have towards one another. Not just love yourself, love another as you love yourself. No, love another more than you love yourself. We are to be ready on all occasions to love one another. And that love is a verb. It's serving, serving each other. That is how we go up the mountain, like Agai says, to gather, fire, to, get, to gather wood to build a house. It's a beautiful analogy of building the house. How we build? Build by loving each other. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And if we are to model Jesus, if we are to model a blueprint for church upon the earth today, then we, are need, to, we need to follow this model. So practically, what does that look like? Just quickly. Um, we can serve on a Sunday. It's part of your com roster. We can host com. You can take people a meal when they're going through a tough time or when they um, are moving house or when somebody is sick. You can invite people over. You know, the Bible says he sets the lonely in family. Ask God, show me somebody in church that is lonely or that I need to invite and invite them over for a meal. It's a practical way of serving the family. Spiritually, number one, I put you tithing. I put this on the spiritual side. Why? Because tithing is actually a spiritual thing. Yes, there's a practical element to it, but there's a spiritual thing that you acknowledge that your provision comes from God by tithing. And then you're actually in investing into the church, saying, God, I want to see this house grow. Another spiritual way of, of serving is in ministries. You know, sound, worship, Josh and kids, mom's group, the pre-prayer. I pray to God that the whole church would gather a half an hour before church starts for the pre-prayer. It's such a way to prepare your own heart for the service and to participate in the spoils of the breakthrough that we will get together. And not just praying there, but praying for individuals um, during the week, sending an encouraging message. While we were going through our trial, my, my good friend Kobus de Vet that shared this morning, three or four times I received a voice note from him. Just, Lord Jesus, I just come this morning, I pray for Joe, and he, and he would carry on you know, just praying for me was such an encouragement. Do that. Why? Because the person on the other end receiving can agree with that prayer and say, Lord, I take a hold of what this person is praying for me. And then lastly, come with a word for each other. I'm so encouraged when people like Stacy come here prepared for a meeting like this. They're saying, I don't want to just come and receive the meeting. I want to say, God, what do you want to do this morning? I'm like ready. I'm in on my battle array. I've got my shield. How, what are we going to do? How are we going to move forward with breakthrough? Who, who, are we, who, who are we contending for this morning? For a better understanding of, of you, to see more of you, to understand more of you, to have more of you. Come ready to give a word. Okay, and then lastly, just want to say um, to those that's been in church, you know, so many years. Jesus ends this, this message to his disciples about love. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's not good enough to just know. Some of the things that I've been speaking to you, like somebody asked you after, how was the sermon? Oh, nothing new I heard. A lot of us have that experience. Not, nothing new. Well, are you doing it? Are you living it? You know? 
Okay, and then moving on to the last part of our message, um, testing times. Because belonging and serving is true even when going through a tough time. You know, when I was um, in church in university, I used to um, look at the people in church and they were always happy. I was like, I, was, I felt so, you know, weird about it because they're all, always smiling. And I, I'm so, oh, there's nothing wrong happened for these people. Why are they so happy? You know, I only realized later that there's actually a difference between happiness and joy. You know, happiness is external things that happen that, 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 that you wanted to happen. But joy is you tapping actually in from the Lord. And they were joyful. They were happy, not because nothing went wrong, but despite things going wrong. And we as Christians and the church are not exempt from suffering. In fact, Jesus actually assured us that we will suffer. In John 16, he said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. That's the peace that transcends all understanding, Paul writes about. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So not if you're going through a troubled time, when you're going through a troubled time. This isn't a license to check out of family life. Many people, they say, oh, you know, I'm going through a tough time, you know, business is, is uh, very busy, I can't come to come, or this is happening, or whatever, you know, I can't come to church, I've got to do this or that. Don't check out of family life when you're going through a tough time. You need to especially know then that you belong and even serve as far as you can. And with that, handing over to my beautiful wife. So for those of you who don't know our story, I'm going to try and give you a, um, a quick background. So earlier this year, I had to get a hernia fix that I got through my um, pregnancies, and that became symptomatic. So it's not a very big deal. It's quite a run-of-the-mill um, operation, about two days in hospital and then a couple of weeks' recovery. But when I got home from the hospital, my family started worrying about me. Apparently, I was a bit crazy when I was awake, which wasn't much. Um, and I had more severe pain than they expected. And... Um, I don't remember anything from that time, but about nine days in, I just I woke up and I had this very lucid moment where I just knew that I had really had to get help because this must be what dying feels like. So Joe took me to the hospital, and at that time, I was so swollen and in so much agony that somebody actually asked us whether we're going to have our baby today. <laughs> but instead of a baby, um, it turned out that I had abdominal sepsis or septicemia, and I, I immediately needed a very big second operation where they took out all of my intestines and washed everything inside, checked my organs and tried to fix the hernia then in another way. And the doctors were still very baffled about um, what happened. What, what they saw inside and also from the lab results just doesn't make sense. Nobody can explain to me. There's a lot of experts now on the case. Um, so apparently I am a medical, very special medical mystery. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so then obviously I, I had to stay in hospital for a long time, quite a bit of it in the ICU, actually in Marilette's ICU. Um, I had more complications, more um, reinfections that drain almost a liter of fluid from my lungs and um, from all other areas. I looked like an octopus with all the drainage um, pipes com coming through me. 
And then um, I, I eventually um, went home, but unfortunately I was not getting better. In fact, I was getting worse. So I had to go back to the hospital another 10 days. Um, eventually they found another big um, abscess which they had to drain. And um, when I then returned home, I still needed medical care on a daily basis. So at that stage, the doctors warned us, we're not looking at weeks of recovery anymore, we're now looking at the best part of a year. Um, the sepsis really just broke down my body, affected everything from my digestive system to my hormones, my, um, my memory, my teeth, I even lost half of my hair, and I just really um, had no energy and I was in pain a lot. Um, and because my body was fighting this infection so fiercely, um, it didn't pay enough attention to healing the um, tissue that got damaged through the operation. So I, I now have a new hernia, and I, I might need the same operation, that, um, or that's the only way to fix it, is through the same operation that actually killed me the first time. But so what made this especially challenging for us is the fact that we have three little girls at home. The um, the oldest one is seven, the middle one was four at the time, and the youngest one had just turned two. I'd actually weaned her just before um, I went to hospital. So we were still very much joined at the hip. And they were all very traumatized to see me looking so bad, and I even smelled bad because of all the pus that they were draining. And I just couldn't take care of them, even um, when I was at home, for a very long time. Even now, I can't do everything that I used to do. My smallest one, yeah, I think I was separated from them for about 24 days when I was in hospital. And my youngest one um, was actually so freaked out by the situation at, a, at some stage that she didn't want to be alone with me. She would cry um, for Joe, and then she would call him mama. <laughs> it really hurt my mommy feelings. <laughs> and poor Joe, at some stage, had to consider who his second wife would be, um, because he was looking at raising these kids on his own. True story. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's, in short, um, some of the challenges that we faced this year, and in some regards are still facing. And now Kevin made an example of us, of people who continue to stay faithful and participate in family life. And that is true, we didn't step back. We, um, we continued to give the little that we still had to give. Um, but that's only a very small part of the story. The, um, the biggest story here is really how we were served and how we were supported by this family. You guys are the real heroes of the story. So, um, like I said, I had some I had big memory gaps, but I do remember bits where I would just open my eyes in hospital and there were just people praying for me, encouraging me, um, sending Joe, or encouraging him. Um, so we had a lot of prayer support, emotional support, but also a lot of practical support. People just showed up. They helped him to take care of the girls. Um, my um, blood family couldn't handle um, all the need, that this long extended need that we had anymore. Um, yeah, help him take care of the household. Food, we got so much food, and I didn't eat for quite a while, so my mom started freezing it, so I think there's still one or two meals left in my fridge. And this was not the first time we've experienced this type of love and care from this family. We had two of our babies in this, in this church, we've gone through other times of illness, we had death in the family, and all of those times we were really so well supported. Um, when our third girl was born, I think we had something like 12 lasagnas, <laughs> um, and some of them were so huge that we, um, could, it could feed us for two or three meals, so we just had lasagna for days. And then again, when uh, my father-in-law passed away, there was a string of lasagnas. So lasagna really became this symbol 
to my family of love and support. When my girls see lasagna, they would ask who in church brought this. Um, so if you want to know who makes the best lasagna in church, you can ask us. <laughs> But this really reminds me of the scripture in John 13, where um, the disciples asked Jesus, how will people know that we are your disciples? Now, as I understand it, in those days, they used to wear something to physically show um, that they were followers of a certain rabbi. So they wanted to know, like, what, what should we wear, you know, to, to show that we are your disciples? And you all know Jesus' famous answer, by your love for one another. They will know that, um, that you are my followers. So this is like the uniform we wear, um, is the love that we show for one another. And it's a testimony that goes out before us. Um, my midwife told us that if she knows that one of her, that her new parents are from a Josh Chen or a Shofar congregation, she knows that they will, she's not worried about them because they will be well supported. That's a testimony, that's our uniform showing. And one of my friends who, she knows Jesus, but she hasn't quite decided how um, dedicated she's willing to be. She saw how well we were supported during this time. And at one point, she actually told me, maybe I should just join your church. And again, it's the uniform showing. So back to serving during a trial. Yes, we, we, we gave the little bits that we had left to give. But the reason we did this is not because we are amazing or exceptional or we were trying to prove anything. It's because we truly belong. And I want to compare belonging to breathing. And I'm so glad that Quibus and Greg demonstrated this earlier. <laughs> when you breathe, you need to breathe in and you need to breathe out. It's inhaling and exhaling and both are equally as important. You need to do both to live. And belonging is serving and receiving, serving and receiving. You cannot do one. You cannot survive in the, in the body if you only do one. Another um, comparison that I'd like to make is being a household member um, or a family member in a house. You have certain chores that you need to do. You need to unpack the dishwasher or clean your room, whatever. But then you also get privileges in that home. Um, you're being taken care of in that home. You get your food and your shelter, and you get to have a shower. You get love and support and protection. Um, now, if you were only a guest in that house, you would get much of these, uh, many of these privileges, but without the responsibility. Nobody would ask you to mow the lawn, right? And the reason for that is because you don't belong there, so you don't have to take responsibility. You're only a guest. But on the other hand, if you were only a servant, then you would need to by definition, serve, but you don't have access to all of these privileges. Again, because you don't belong there. So true belonging means responsibility and serving, but then also access to all of these household privileges. Um, yes, so in, in, in that same way, when, when we are part of this body, we need to do both. We cannot just inhale, inhale, inhale. That's called hyperventilation, and it will actually make you dizzy and weak. Um, you need to exile also. You need to serve. Um, yes, and even the receiving part can sometimes be difficult if, you, um, if you're too proud or if you've built up walls. Um, so it's, for some people, even that is, might, may be a challenge to receive also. Um, so that's the end of our message. But we really felt on our hearts that um, we need to minister to people this morning. Um, especially people who feel that they don't belong. 
and you, you may listen to this and you're like, yes, but I don't belong, I might never belong. And as Joe pointed out, that is a lie. And the enemy wants to use that to weaken you and to weaken the whole body. And there are two specific groups that I feel on my heart today. Um, the one is those of you who might listen to this message and you're a bit offended or hurt because you've gone through a trial and nobody lasagna you like we were. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, offense, um, hurt. And it, it, it might be that your lenses were a bit tainted and you didn't see what was coming your way, but it could also be that you fell through the cracks. It happens. And as a member of this household, I would like to apologize to you on behalf of everyone. But as Joe said, the fix for that is quick forgiveness. But more than just that, it's also repentance. If you allowed that offense and if you allowed to build up walls with... Um, and these walls would then actually prevent you to see or receive anything that is coming your way. So the repentance, um, yes. And then on the other hand, um, or the other group of people, um, are those that might be a bit convicted this morning because you are not actively serving. You are inhaling, 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 but not necessarily exhaling as well. Um, and... Yeah, there's, there's obviously a lot of um, grace if you do go through a tough time. But the question is, is your heart bent towards serving? Are you giving what you, what you have to give? And, and I, I've hidden behind excuses, babies, feeling a bit depressed, pressure at work. Um, but that's not, yeah, God, God called us to, to serve in his household. So it may be time for you to, to repent. And I want to point you back to the scripture in Haggai, not to neglect the house of the Lord and while you're building your own house. But, um, and, and God, the miracle that he did there was that he, um, he forgave the people and he blessed them in the end. And that's what he will do for us as well. So I'm going to hand back over to you.